church that we've been working with for a number of, probably like a year now, just coming alongside of them, and they're interested in becoming part of our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church, and um, we've been kind of coming alongside of them in a lot of different ways. It's been fun. And Tom's preaching there this morning, and then um, Pastor Austin is over preaching at Windsor Chapel in Princeton Junction, New Jersey. So um, not only are we sending out our elders, we're sending our pastors out too, which is great. Uh, I wanted to draw your attention to a couple things that are um, in the, um, the current this morning. One, we have a really big event coming up here, and you might not realize that this is that significant, but on April 28th, it's a Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., speaking of the Evangelical Free Church, um, we're hosting an EFCA Go Summit that they do these a couple times a year all over the country, and they happen to be hosting one right here at Riverstone Church. So we're bringing in speakers, and actually they are, the EFCA, speakers from all over the country and some of them from around the world um, that are coming in. What an opportunity. It's not only for leaders in missions. Um, This is for you. There's training. How do I share the good news with Muslims? How do I, you know, reach um, the urban context? And how just all different kind of formats and um, there's seminars. It's a great opportunity and it's going to be right at our church. So in the literature rack, when you go out underneath the big round design of our logo, um, in there, there's some flyers for the Ghost Summit. Check it out. We'll give you a little more detail next week. On um, April, well, next Sunday, um, it's the 15th, is our next crosstalk. And our very own Pastor John Beagle is going to be leading on the conscience and Christian freedom at 11 a.m. in the Woodside Room. Please check it out. It's um, something you won't want to miss. And we also have a Riverstone Explored class, which is our membership class that starts a week from today on Sunday. Um, This one is at 9.15 in the morning in one of our portable classrooms in room 241. It's a six-week class. It's a requirement for membership. It's great. We'd love to see you there. You'll learn about who we are and meet our leadership and the vision of the church and why we do what we do at this church and what we believe. And it's a good chance to meet other people. And it starts one week from today. You need to sign up for it. You can sign up on our website or at the welcome desk on your way out. But that's all coming up next Sunday. So we just wanted to draw your attention to those things. Well, as we get into the Word this morning, uh, we kind of had a little bit of a break for Good Friday and Easter. I hope yours was a special time celebrating the Lord's resurrection. But it was um, two weeks ago today that we were in Numbers I'm going to ask if you would to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14, and if you would like a Bible this morning, you could just raise your hand, and our ushers will be glad to get one to you, and I'm going to have the, the slides, the, the text up on the screen as well, and through us, and to enlighten us as we read His Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the privilege it is to gather together and worship you with our church family, our friends, and loved ones. And Lord, as we gather this morning, I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to your word and what it is that you want to teach us today. We thank you for the freedoms and the privilege it is to open your word together publicly. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would do a great work within each of us. Lord, in our own, we come here as as selfish sinners, And Lord, each one of us, we struggle and sin. We have a hard time, Lord, seeing you for who you really are. And we pray that you would open our eyes up today 
Help us to get to know you better. Help us to love you more deeply. And help us, Lord, to be changed through your word as we see what it is you want to teach us this morning. Father, may our worship be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're doing something also a little bit different today. We're celebrating communion at the end of the service today. So um, some people are looking like, you can't do that. We've never done that before. Well, we can, and we are. So we will close the service in a time of communion. But to catch us up a little bit, um, if you were not here two weeks ago, or just as a reminder, we were um, in, Pastor Tom was leading us through chapters 13 and 14 in the book of Numbers, and we got up to around verse 31, where I'm going to pick up this morning. But if you remember, what happened back then was that God, through Moses, had sent 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land. And those 12 spies came back with conflicting reports. If you remember, Joshua and Caleb came back and they described a bountiful land that the Lord was prepared to give to his people. But, and it tends that there's always, isn't there always a but in things sometimes when we look at when sin is involved? But the other 10 spies came back and they were sharing stories of giants and pending doom should the nation of Israel try to enter into the land. Seems like how quickly it was that they forgot the miracles of God in Egypt and this far in the desert. The people, their eyes just turned away from the Lord and they started to look at all the obstacles. And next thing you know, the people, they started to moan and they wept and they, they longed for the days that they were in bondage back in Egypt. They threatened to stone Joshua and Caleb. And as I, as I read through this, I was thinking, man, Back then and today, don't we all tend to have our hearts turned towards the negative? We get so caught up in negativity. Picture back then when these 12 spies came back, they didn't have CNN and Fox News to interview the spies so that all the people could catch up on, oh, that's what's going on. The word had to spread throughout that camp. There was a few million Israelites. It wasn't like this was this little camp of 40 people. Several million people, and all of a sudden the spies come back, and they're giving their reports of what is going on. And next thing you know, you have these 10 spies who start telling people about these giants. And they start telling about all the obstacles they're going to face. And it's like this kind of critical, negative, moaning spirit started to spread throughout the camp. And you can picture, it's a whisper down the lane. As people shared the story, I'm sure the giants kept getting bigger. And the obstacles grew. And the people were bemoaning and they were turning their hearts away from God. They were rejecting God, and all of a sudden, in the midst of it, the glory of the Lord just shone in the tabernacle. Can you picture the reaction? I guarantee you, all that mumbling and complaining stopped as they looked over at the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle. Kind of reminds me, it's like a setting where, you know, there's a couple, you know, a couple of kids and their friends are out playing. They're doing something just totally disobedient. They knew they shouldn't be doing. And next thing you know, the door opens up and there's dad. And the eyes go, and the kid, oh no, dad's home. Well, that's what the Israelites must have been like when the glory of the Lord appeared. And they knew that they were being rebellious in their hearts. And it said in chapter 14, it said that God's immediate reaction, he burned with anger. And what did God say? He says, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess these people. And in the midst of God's anger, Moses, God's leader, stood up and he represented the people and he pled with God to spare the people. Now, I'll tell you, Moses was quite a leader. 
You know, if I were there, and I have a feeling if you were there, and we were in Moses' shoes, and we had faced all of the rejection that he faced and how the people wanted to stone him, I guarantee you if they had stoned Joshua and Caleb, Moses would have been next. And here is Moses standing up before the people. If I were there and I were in Moses' shoes, I'd be like, smite him, God. But what does Moses do? He pled with God, and God spared the people. And in that, what we saw was we saw the perfect, we saw God's justice and mercy on display. You see, God very easily could have consumed them with fire. He could have sent a plague throughout the camp. He could have just opened the land up like he did before the ground and just swallowed them alive. God didn't do any of that. What God did was he spared their lives. But in his justice, because of their disobedience and rebellion, he told them that the adults of that generation would not make it into the promised land. All of the adults who came out of Egypt would die in the desert. They spent 40 more years in the desert. But he then promised them, however, your children will enter into the promised land. You see, we saw the justice and mercy of God there. Now, I want to pick up, and this is where we're at. God had just told them that they were going to die in the desert, but their children would make it in. And we're going to begin reading in chapter 14, verse 31. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Your sons will be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness." According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land." What we see here is what God is telling them is for every day that the spies were in the promised land, spying out the land, there were 40 days. For every, every day, they'd spend one year in the wilderness. So for 40 days of spying, they had 40 more years to spend in the wilderness. But notice, I mentioned that God in his mercy had spared the people. But we also see that those other 10 spies, the one that came back with the bad report and basically says and spread the unfaithfulness throughout the camp, those 10 men died right then and there of a plague brought on them by God, right before the people. So we saw God's justice striking there. And Joshua and Caleb, you know, God, you know, in a beautiful way, God praised these men for their faithfulness. It's in Scripture. God praised them for their faithfulness. They still had to wander for 40 more years in the desert. So that was a consequence of the other people's sin. But then what God told them was, however, you too will enter into the promised land and I will bless your descendants past beyond you. So here was Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12, the only two whose hearts were faithful to the Lord, and God blessed them. And the other 10 men 
who were unfaithful were smitten with the plague and died right there on the spot. One of the things I want to encourage all of us is, your heart matters to God. You see, God cares so much about our hearts. And it's so sad when believers in Jesus Christ, when God's people in the Old Testament, when we grumble and complain. You see, what we saw was that grumbling and complaining was spreading throughout the camp. And God shows and highlights the faithfulness of Joshua, of Caleb, of Moses, in contrast to the unfaithfulness of the other ten. See, our hearts matter so much to God. One of the things that struck me in this as well is when we read this, when God spoke, God spoke to Moses. And then he wanted Moses to take the message, God's very word, to the people. And God, throughout the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament, God appointed leaders to lead his people. And Moses was a great example of one of those leaders. But you see, leadership really matters to God. And we can look back and we can see how all the way through after Moses, we got into the period of time where God would appoint kings and he had a faithful one like David, but we also saw his failure. And we saw going into the New Testament, we saw the disciples. Here was Jesus. He lived his ministry on the earth. And what did he do? He surrounded himself by the 12. And Jesus poured into those 12 because basically what he was doing was he was passing his ministry baton. And he wanted those disciples after he ascended to heaven and he knew he was going back to take over and establish and lead the church. And we go through all that and we see as, as Peter and as Paul and then people like Barnabas, as they started churches, what did they do? They appointed elders to lead in those churches. And then we think about leadership. What was it that Jesus did? I, I think Peter is a great example. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times and the cock crowed? Well, Peter, can you imagine how devastated he was? He would have been, I mean, he, he lived with Christ. He walked and lived with Jesus. And it must have broken his heart to know that he disappointed his Lord like that. He rejected his Lord. And Jesus, after his resurrection in this 40 days before he ascended to heaven, Jesus pulled Peter aside and he reappointed Peter in leadership. Do you remember the three things, three times, what Jesus said to him? He said, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my lambs. You see, what he was telling him was, as a leader, Peter, I'm counting on you to lead. Acts chapter 2, the church started. Peter was there. And Jesus was counting on Peter and the others to start and lead his church. See, Jesus could have picked any other way to do it, but he chose us, didn't he? And he told them, he said, feed my sheep. Well, today, God is appointing, ever since the Bible concluded in Revelation, God has appointed leaders to lead in his church for thousands of years. We have leaders here at Riverstone Church. I'm going to touch on that for a moment. But you see, we get our marching orders. Feed the sheep. See, he wasn't, well, Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry. He wants us to do those things in the church as leaders. But when he said to feed the sheep, he was talking about his word. He was talking about teach the word of God to the people of God. Help them to understand who God is. Equip them to live as disciples of Jesus Christ and become disciple makers. That's what he meant when he said feed my sheep. 
He said, spiritually feed them, Peter. And here it is. We have the Bible today. So at Riverstone Church, if we're going to be faithful in leadership, it's teaching God's Word and feeding the people God's Word so that it'll transform your lives and shape you and conform you to the image of Jesus Christ and to spiritual maturity. That's what leadership is all about. I want to take a moment, and I want to talk about, okay, if we see this, we see, you know, God wanted, you know, he would have loved had the people follow Joshua and Caleb. Moses was his appointed leader, and today, God appoints leaders, and I guarantee you, we saw, well, we saw that Moses was far from perfect, but he was a man of God, and at our church here at Riverstone Church, I have to ask the question, okay, what can we learn from what we just saw that will help us in our understanding of leadership right here today. We don't want to take the truths of God's Word and leave them 3,500 years in the past. We want to take the truths out of God's Word and say, what can we apply today into our lives? And you see, God has given leaders to Riverstone Church. We have pastors. We have directors. If you don't know what a director is, Benjamin as our, our director of worship and Janet Miller and Kim Rhodes are in our directors in our children's ministries. Um, and we have elders. Now, elders are made up. Our pastors are elders. And then we also have elected men from the church family who are volunteers who serve as elders. And the elders are really the spiritual authority of Riverstone Church. And I will tell you, I love working with our pastors, our directors, and our elders. God has given great people in these positions. But I will be the first one to tell you, we are far from perfect. And yet, God, and I love the model, how he appointed elders, plural. Because, see, what we can do is we can make up for each other's weaknesses. We can contribute the strengths that we bring to the table. Um, you know, as a pastor, I'm one of the elders. And I've, you know, over the years, I've learned things. I, I've served as a pastor at three churches, and I was an elder before I went to minister, in a minute, well, one before I went to seminary, and then at a church while I was in seminary, serving on the elder board. And in those five churches, I've seen some common things. Um, one of them that I have seen is that people in every church, it always seems, well, I'll, I'll tell you, there's an extreme example. It always seems like there's a little pocket of people in every church who no matter what decision the elders make or whatever proposals they make, they're against it. It's almost like they come in on the, you know, the annual meeting and they fill out their ballot before they ever hear anything. And they don't even read it. They just check off, no, 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 no. And it's like, you know, well, you know somebody might say, well, how, how come you said no? You don't even know what you're voting on. I don't care. I'm against it. Now, I've seen that in each church I've been in. You know, that's to the extreme. But you know the other thing I've seen? I've also seen that um, I've seen some bad, bad decisions that leaders can make. You know, I, personally, I can give you the example for myself that there have been times when I've gone into an elders meeting and, you know, in my role as lead pastor, I have to make decisions and I have to lead, but I've made some, I say, hey, guys, let's do this. And next thing you know, one of the elders will say, uh, I, I don't know. And then might point something out about it that's not, favorable. And then another elder might speak up and say, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I think we should do this. And then we get into this discussion, and next thing you know, after about 10 or 15 minutes of conversation, I'm like, man, that was a really stupid idea. Who brought that up? <laughs> and um, 
you know, so, you know, we can help each other in that way. I've seen other times where decisions are brought forward, and it's a really good decision, but after discussion and interaction within the, all of the elders' contra- contribution, it ends up an even better decision. You see, but at the same time, like I said, I have also seen men make some bad decisions at churches, evangelical churches. So here's my question. I'm going to give you two points from what we just read to help us apply to how we should approach leadership. One, it's so clear through the book of Numbers, God hates grumbling and complaining. He points this out continually through Numbers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm sure as Tom and myself and any others that preach through this, we're going to come to it again because we come to it in chapter 16, which is the next chapter after today. But what we see is when people complain and grumble, a spirit of negativity develops, and we see it leads to gossip, and we see it leads to disunity, and we see it leads to division. So just in general, remember, God hates grumbling and complaining. Now, the second point that I want to bring out has to do with the word trust. See, trust is such an important thing for a healthy church. Now, you might say, well, well, Bob, what do you mean by trust? Does that mean that we just have to blindly agree with everything? No, absolutely not. That would not be healthy. You see, here's the way I would look at it. I know these men that are leading our church as elders. I know they love the Lord. I know they love Jesus Christ. I know they love this church. I know they love the people of this church. So to me, what trust is, is saying, all right, I know our leaders. So when they make a decision or they make a proposal... I'm going to approach it from the position of trust and say, wow, I know that these guys love the Lord. I know they want the best. It's probably a really good idea. However, what I want you to do is evaluate it through the grid of Scripture. If it doesn't align with Scripture, please, that hour, don't wait. Come and talk to us. We need to know it. If you look at a decision or a proposal and you think, man, that doesn't really, that's not what God's Word says. Well, we need to know about it. Because that's the last thing as a church. That has to be our authority as leaders in leading a church. Now, you also get decisions that God doesn't tell you everything in, this word, in his word for leadership. So I, I know there's been decisions. Let's just say maybe there's three options. And we have to choose one. Not choosing one is poor leadership. So in making a decision, we realize, you know what, we're gonna, I know we're going to disappoint these people if we choose A, these people if we choose B, these people if we choose C. Someone's not going to like this decision, but a decision has to be made. And remember how I said before, there's times where I've gone into an elders meeting, I've made a proposal, and it goes the other way? Well, I need to then say, okay, I trust these brothers in Christ. I'm going to surrender my desires, and I'm going to, dis- I'm going to support the decision that's made. And that's what's something that we all need to do, is to say, you know what, if it doesn't go against God's word, I will trust them. Now, What I really want to encourage, though, is please come and talk to the leadership. The leaders want to hear from you. If there's a decision or if there's something coming up and you're either uncomfortable with it or you disagree with it or you're just not sure, come and talk to us. Because the options are either you either disengage or you grumble and gossip. Now, see, gossip is going to someone that has no no authority to change it. But coming to those who can... That's healthy in the body of Christ. We want to hear from you. Now, I know a lot of people might say, Bob, I don't even know who the elders are. Well, hopefully you know the pastors who are elders. 
Um, and we try to put as many up here as possible. Chris Studley just came up and spoke. He's an elder. Get to know your elders. That's what I want to encourage you. If you don't even know, who, go on the website. There's, they're nice pictures with you know, all their descriptions and bios are on the website. And we'll get them up here as much as possible. But I want to just encourage you that God wants you to understand what it looks like to surrender to yourself and say, Lord, I'll trust the leadership here at our church, but you need to be engaged with us. Well, I need to move on. I want to pick up in verse 39, but I want to say, wouldn't you think at this point in time, I just read up to 38, wouldn't you think the people now saw the glory of the Lord appearing, they saw 10 of the unfaithful spies died right on the spot from the plague, they heard Moses communicate God's word, you would think the people would say, okay, Lord, we're ready to follow you and obey. Oh, if it were only so. Let's pick up in verse 39. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. That sounds great so far. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. Not a good idea. But Moses said, why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up, or you will be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. Okay, well, we see what happens here. They didn't follow the leadership that God had given them in Moses. Moses clearly told them again, do not do this. They disregarded what Moses had to say, and we see how it worked out. Now, as I was preparing for this, and I read verse 39, I thought, oh, look at this. They're repenting. This is great. They're weeping. They're crying. The people mourned greatly. But verse 40 brings in a really dangerous word. We see in verse 40 the word however. In the morning, however, they rose up early. You see, had the people not decided in their hearts, you know what, we know what is better for us than God does. We know what we desire we desire that more than we desire following the Lord. Had the people not made those choices, they would have been okay. But here they clearly are taking matters into their own hands and saying, you know what, we can do this without God. And it was a very dangerous place to be. You see, the Amalekites and the Canaanites came down and they just put a beating on the people of God. And it said, man, they, Moses told them it's going to fail. They went, said they went out of the camp without the ark, without Moses. They did this in self-reliance, just in total self-dependence, leaving God behind. And it's tragic what happened. See, we can pass over this really easily and, it's, and think, wow, okay, they took a beating by the Canaanites and the Amalekites. Picture the tragedy that's in verse 45. We now have um, wives who've lost their husbands, children who have lost their dads, parents who have lost their sons, all throughout the camp, the tragedy they endured because they felt that they knew better than God did. They decided to take matters into their own hands 
and the results were devastating. See, for us, we can read through that and forget just the bloodshed and the tragedy that comes in with that. I want to encourage all of us, you know, as we go through reading this, we can in our own lives, we, we've got God's word to read, um, we listen to sermons, we, we know what God's telling us to do. Even in your own conviction, there is times where you know what God is telling you to do, but you now proceed with that big however. It's like saying, Lord, I know what you would want me to do, however, I really want this. And we go out and we pursue it on our own. You know, I look back at my own life. Man, there were so many howevers that I wish I could do over, that I wish I could go back in a race. I would spare myself so much grief. I would spare other people so much grief if I could go back and do it over and erase those howevers. You know, I'm sure that you're probably sitting there in your mind right now, think of some of the howevers in your past. But you know what? We can't change our pasts. We can't go back. You know, one thing is God will use those bad choices, the howevers in our lives. When we repent, He'll use them to shape us, to conform us to the image of Christ when we approach Him in repentance. But I will tell you, had we chosen to obey the first time, it would have been so much better. But you can't change the past, but you can change the future. And as I look out in this room right now, I know that you're sitting there with some howevers in your life. And I want to ask you, what are they? Where is it that you know what God would want you to do? You know that you've allowed something into your life that you desire more than faithfulness to God. And ask yourself, what is it? You know, for some of, some of us, in some situations, maybe you're entering into a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, however, I may lead them to the Lord. However, I really love them. You know, maybe you're married and you're allowing yourself to get too close to somebody who's not your spouse. You know, you just keep thinking, however, I feel so good. However, it's not, it's not a big deal. However, it's just. Maybe you've already crossed the line and you're in an adulterous relationship and God wants you to end it. Maybe you're pursuing an addiction because it makes you feel good. It's an escape. You know, maybe you're looking at a career change and you're sitting there thinking, man, if I could just have that position. But you know in your heart, the workload that will come with it, the commitment that comes with it is going to pull you away from being able to have a relationship with Christ and your family the way God wants. But man, you're thinking of the income it'll bring and the new office that you'd get or whatever it is. See, there are so many howevers that all of us face. You know, maybe it's the people you're hanging around with in school. And you know, man, every time I hang around with these kids, trouble happens. They don't know the Lord. They don't love Him. However, I want to be cool. However, I don't want to be rejected. You see, I want to have all of us examine our hearts. And what are the howevers in your life that God is exposing to you that you know what it is He would want you to do? You can't change your past, but you can change your future. And as we go through this, I also, you know, one of the things I, I, I thought was interesting, when I was in Lebanon two weeks ago, just got back, I was part of our teaching team over there. We were teaching young Syrians, church leaders, how to study and teach the Bible, and we used the book of Jonah in doing that. That was our material. And if you remember Jonah, he was a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel, 
And the Israel back then, their most feared enemy was the Assyrians. They were a wicked, nasty people. Man, they were brutal. They would cut off people's heads, put them on stakes, and just leave thousands of them in fields. And I mean, it was a brutal people. And Jonah hated the Assyrians. And God told Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. You know where Nineveh was? It was the capital of Assyria. Now, to give you a little geography today, if you ever hear on the news, the town Mosul in northern Iraq, that's Nineveh. Now, here's Jonah. He's standing in Israel, and God tells him, I want you to go. It's straight east, northeast, to get to, to um, Nineveh. What does Jonah do? He runs to Joppa, gets on a ship, and he goes to Tarshish, which is in the direction of, like, Italy and Spain. The opposite direction, straight west. Now, here's Jonah trying to go as far away as he can. What does God do? Man, God brings on, you know, he brings the storm in there, and the, the sailors realize, oh, it's this guy's fault. They take Jonah, they don't want to, but they take Jonah, and they throw him overboard. The storm stops, and a big fish, and by the way, the Arabic Bible says a big whale. Um, I, I never knew that one. I learned that two weeks ago. But this um, big fish swallows Jonah. He spends three days in the belly of a fish. And the only way he got out was the fish vomited him out onto the shore. It doesn't sound too good, does it? See, Jonah had a however in his life, and he chose to run to Tarshish when God wanted him to go to Nineveh. I want to ask the same question. What is your Tarshish today? God may be calling you to whatever your Nineveh is. And in your eyes, you're turning your back on God, and you're looking in the other direction because you desire that more than you desire obedience to God. See, we can all learn. Jonah learned the hard way. Here's what I want us to learn from this passage. Trust that the Lord desires what is best for you. But I want you to think of trust as an action word. Trust and then follow. See, that's what we can learn. The people of Israel learned it the hard way. In this chapter we're looking at, Jonah learned it the hard way. Let's not have to learn it the hard way in our own lives. Well, I want to keep moving on here, um, especially in light of time, um, and move into Numbers chapter 15. And I'm going to start reading, and actually I'll read verses 1 through 13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or as a freewill offering or in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present, shall present to the Lord a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of oil. And you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hin, with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice for each lamb. 